0: Chapter 2, and we'll read together from verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, and verse 1. It's page 966 in your Pew Bibles. Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Amen. Some years ago, I was getting my haircut in Glasgow. There's a hairdresser's on Paisley Road West in Cardonald in Glasgow called Hair 2000. I'm, uh, I'm old enough to remember when that sounded futuristic. I keep expecting them every time I'm through to change it to Hair 3000, but it's still, still Hair 2000 or Haircut 100, as my mum still calls it. Uh, but I in here 2000, a few years ago. I think I'd just started my theology degree, and I had gone in prepared for the questions I had expected the hairdresser to ask me about whether I was on a day off or where I was going on holiday. But the conversation turned to my studies, and uh, he was asking... First of all, he was very forceful in telling me that he didn't believe any of that nonsense. He was an atheist, and then he asked me what what theology was all about. And I told He assumed that it was about learning about all the different religions, and I said, well, that's part of it. I do learn about lots of different religions, but it's mainly about Christianity. And he said to me, well, I suppose they're all basically the same anyway, aren't they? So you can picture the scene. I'm, on this seat with this man towering above me. My arms are kind of trapped by this gown. This guy has access to razor blades and, and sharp scissors. And he says to me, all, all religions are basically the same anyway, aren't they? So I, I take a bit of a breath and I say, well, I don't think they're all the same. I think Christianity is totally different from every other Religion. And he, he looks at me and he says, So let me get this right. Oh, you think that all the other religions are wrong, but the one that you happen to believe happens to be the one that is right. So at this point, I'm thinking, What I want to say to you is that's marginally less arrogant than saying all other religions are wrong and you happen to be right but I remember the razor blades and the sharp scissors, and I think I I won't say that. So I try to say, well, yes, I do. I think Christianity is completely different from all the other religions because all of the other religions and worldviews basically give you a list. They give you a list of, of good advice. You know, do this, do this stuff. Be committed to doing this stuff. Be dedicated to doing this stuff. And you'll get to the goal whatever that goal may be so if you're dedicated and committed to doing this list of good things then eventually you'll you'll find yourself or eventually you'll lose yourself or eventually you'll obtain nirvana or eventually you'll get to heaven just just look at this list of good advice follow it as much as you can and hopefully you'll do well enough to get to the goal and that's not Christianity. That is not the Christian message. The Christian the Christian message is not uh, good advice to follow. It's good news to believe. There's a world of difference between those two things. The Christian gospel doesn't say, "Do all this stuff, and hopefully you'll be good enough to get to heaven." It points to what God has already done for us in Christ. Christianity eh, tells us, Scripture tells us, that God is so wonderful, or to use the language of Scripture, He is so holy that we can never get our way up to God. We can never earn our way into the loving presence of God by following some list of good deeds. We are like, I don't know if you've ever painted a skirting board before. You think the skirting board is white until you start to paint it, and then to your horror you see actually it's like yellow compared to the brilliant fresh white paint that you're beginning to put on. That's what, what we're like. We think that we are white. We think that we are clean. We think that we are pure until we see God. But we see true purity, true perfection, true holiness. And then we see that we are actually unclean. And we can't make it up. We can't tip the scales in our favor. We can't climb up to God in a ladder of good works. God is holy and perfect and pure. He is so wonderful, we'll never get up to Him, but He is so loving that He has come down to us. There is no other religion which has a God like that holy and perfect and pure, loving and gracious and merciful. So our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 2. But if we step back for a moment to the end of chapter 1, if we look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 22, Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is what we celebrate at Christmas, God with us. God came down to us in love in Christ. What did he come to do? Is the obvious question that that poses. God came down to us in love. God came down to us in Christ. What did he come to do? What did he come to be? Did he come to be a teacher that we can learn from? Yes. Did he come to be an example that we can follow? Yes. But neither of these things are are primary. Above all else, if we move back one more verse to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That is what Jesus came to. To be above all else that is what jesus came to do to save his people from their sins he came to be a savior so today we find ourselves with the wise men or the magi or uh, however your your translation has it the wise men from the east they see a star And they know that this star is burning brightly for a king like no other. A king so special that they need to see him, they need to meet him, they need to worship him. And so they follow this star to Israel, they get into Israel, they head to the capital of Israel, which, as Mr. Trump will tell you, is Jerusalem. And they find the most important person that they can in the capital of this land to ask this person where this new king is that they know must have been born. And the most important person they find is the so-called king of the Jews. He is the one that the Romans have appointed as king of the Jews. And Herod, the so-called king of the Jews, is disturbed to hear of the birth of another king. As far as Herod is concerned, there is, only one, there is only room for one king in Jerusalem, one king of the Jews, one king over Israel. And so, worried as he is, he sends the wise men, to Bethlehem to find Jesus, hoping to trap him and to kill him when he has been found. Matthew 2, verse 9, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Much has been made of these gifts. There are some that say they may just have been a collection of treasures given to this newborn king as an expression of how much he is worth. But through most of church history, Christians have believed that each of these gifts point to one particular reality of of, of, uh, who the person of Christ is and what the person of Christ has come to do. So, gold, for example, would point to the kingly rule of Jesus. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. The incense or frankincense would have been used in temple worship, so it's usually taken to point either to the deity of Christ or to the priestly role of Jesus. We might be given the opportunity, I think, to think about that a wee bit on Christmas Eve. Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising all men raising. Worship him. God most high. Myrrh is the most unusual of the three gifts. It wasn't used to anoint kings. It wasn't used to anoint priests. It was used to anoint, or we might say to embalm, the dead. It's It's a gift which points to death. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathes of life, of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone cold tomb. What a gift to give to a young child. We don't know the age of Jesus as uh, as the Magi meet him, as, as Nigel Heath I think said last week. He may have been up to two because when the when Herod asks the wise men when they saw the star, he then commands uh, all of the baby or the the boys in Bethlehem two years and younger to be killed. So he may have been two, or he may have been younger, he may have been a toddler, or he may still have been a baby, we, we don't know, but what a gift to give to someone who is clearly still at the start of their life, and I'm sure a gift given to a child full of life, as, as, as most baby boys are, a gift that points to death. <laughs> I wonder how Mary would have reacted as she saw the gold, as she saw uh, the frankincense, but especially I wonder how she would have reacted as she saw the myrrh. Would she have recognized what it was and what it pointed to? She may have had some inclination because... She will have remembered what Simeon had said to her at the temple. We looked at it last week. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So, at this point in time, Jesus is, what, eight days old? Simeon says that this child will be like a sword that will pierce her soul. Even at the very beginning of Jesus' life, we are Pointed to its end. We are pointed to the pain his death will bring. Why? Because Jesus came to save his people from their sins. This is not bad news, this is good news. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There is no wrong in God, he will not turn a blind eye to sin. That is good news. We look on our television screens or we open our newspapers and time and time again, story after story after story of people in power abusing those who have been entrusted to their care. People in power abusing those who are vulnerable and escaping, evading justice for for decades. Community leaders, political leaders, business leaders, even church leaders, abusing the vulnerable people entrusted in some way to their care, and justice so often denied to these victims because. People turned a blind eye to that which was going on. God is not like them. God is not like that. God will not turn a blind eye to sin. Justice will be done. Deeds done in the darkness will be brought out into the light. He is just and He is love. So he sent his son in love to die for our sins, that sin might be dealt with decisively, not swept under the carpet as if it didn't really matter, but dealt with by Jesus on the cross so that we might be forgiven. We might be washed clean in the eyes of God forever. We might be welcomed into the family of God forever. We might take to ourselves ourselves the blessings that only Jesus really deserves. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus is willing to share the title that is truly His? He is willing to have us as fellow sons and daughters of God, adopted into the family of God, not because we followed some list, remember, not because we followed good advice, but simply because we have heard the good news and we have accepted our needs, we have accepted His sufficiency, we have accepted the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Richard Dehan says, unless we see the cross overshadowing the cradle, we have lost the real meaning of Christ's birth if you are willing to accept that you do not make the grades, then the gospel will be good news of great joy to you. If you think you're fine as you are, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, then you will not see the goodness of the good news. Jesus came to live His life for us and that life that he lived mattered. His teaching is truth. His example is perfect. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He had to succeed where Adam and where every human being since Adam has failed in order to be the second Adam and in order to be the lamb without blemish. The life that he lived mattered, But He came not only to live His life for us, but to give His life for us. The life He lived mattered, but it is the death He died where we see the fullness of His love for us. This is real love, says John, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The life Jesus lived mattered. The death Jesus died mattered. And every bit is important to remember Jesus was raised from death. There is another great, uh, this is another great distinctive between Christianity and all these other religions. We do not commemorate a dead prophet. The author and perfecter of our faith is wonderfully alive, fully alive. We don't come to commemorate, we come together to celebrate. We know that Jesus' death is sufficient to cancel the curse of sin because he himself was raised from death to prove it. Death defeated by the death of Jesus. Some people, as Bill Shankly quotes, not often I quote Bill Shankly, but some people, he says, believe football is a matter of life and death. I am very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it is much much more important than that well if you'd seen me sitting by my radio yesterday you might have believed that I agreed with Bill Shankly on that front but of course football is not as important as life and death but this these things that we have been considering together this morning are more important than life and death because they pertain to eternal life and to eternal death. This is the most important thing that we will ever meet in life, this message, this invitation that is the good news of the gospel. Each of us must decide what we will do with Jesus, either receive Him as the greatest gift ever given love him trust him that's what it means to believe in jesus it doesn't mean to believe that he exists it means to to trust him to place our lives into his hands follow him honor him or the alternative we can keep our hearts and our lives closed to jesus We can try and make it ourselves. Try and be good enough. I hope and I pray that all of us will be like those wise men who bowed before Jesus in humility and with joy all those years ago. That's my prayer for everyone in this church fellowship. That's my prayer for those I I know and I love, uh, and that's my prayer for the people of this town. This is the town that we are called by God and Christ to witness to. That is my prayer, that we would be like those wise men, that we would bow before Jesus in humility and with joy, and that we would entrust ourselves to His care and to His keeping. At Bethlehem they entered in, On bended knee they worshipped him. They offered there in his presence their gold and myrrh and frankincense. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord. For Christ has our salvation wrought and with his blood mankind has bought. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn, the first Noel.